Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. I think we have to keep trying to move further up the value chain. We spend still an inordinate amount of time making the data make sense. Once we've got, so taking information out of one system, corresponding it with the data in another system, reconciling it with the third system, slicing and dicing it into formats for business users in a way that they'll understand it. And none of that activity is actually getting to the point where you're adding value. All you're doing is getting ready to add value. And unless we do something about what Andrew mentions here, this is going to be the future of our profession, doing things to get us in a, into a position to add value, but falling short. So thankfully, today's guest mentor, Andrew Paris, helps us deconstruct what we can do to deliver outcomes on time and focus on being a better business partner to our organizations. Also, the importance of external and internal benchmarking to help us not only be more efficient, but be effective too, and how to stay relevant into the future. And uh, some cool ideas around there, around being curious, discussing and challenging. And also a really great concept of the three threes. And I'll let Andrew explain what's involved there, but that's a very useful piece of advice on how to continue to remain relevant. Now, I've had the great fortune to catch up with Andrew on a number of occasions. We've met each other a few times at various conferences. So I'm really delighted to be able to share his insights with you on this podcast. If you do want to check out the show notes or key quotes, resources that Andrew mentions or ways to connect with him, you can find more at sitnshow.com. And you might even want to recommend this episode to a friend or a colleague. You can do that by subscribing on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify. And as always, really appreciate your interest in the show. So that's enough from me. So without further ado, over to Andrew and the show. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Andrew. Hey, Andrew, I'm really excited to, to brought you onto the show and we get to chat again together. We, we've bumped into each other at a few uh, conferences now and I've, I've always sort of enjoyed your presentations and, and the insights you, you know, we sort of shared on stage and off. But some of our audience may not be as familiar with your story in accounting and finance. So would you mind maybe sharing a bit about your journey? Sure. Going way back, I emigrated to South Africa with my family when I was 11 years old. So I did my secondary education in South Africa, then came back to the UK, uh, not knowing really what I wanted to do with my life and spent a couple of years. Some people have a gap year. I had a gap three years eventually established that I needed to go back to university but in doing that it was needed me to go back to South Africa couldn't get into uni in, in the UK at that time without doing A-levels so went back to SA and qualified as an accountant and the way the practice works over there the, sorry the profession works over there is that you do a degree in accounting in order to become an accountant so I spent five years doing a, a four-year degree in a one-year postgrad that then allowed me to qualify as an accountant three years hence, and then eventually came back to the UK. There was, uh, again, was a bit of a surprise, meant to come back here after having got married with my wife to come back to the UK for a couple of years, but we're here 20 years later. I, I suppose on that journey, you 
probably worked with a few different companies i suppose what's been so your most memorable experiences working working in either in practice or in industry yeah i've had a had a few along the way i trained with bdo i worked at pwc for a few years in a couple of different roles and then spent 12 years working for various parts of national grid and more lastly i've had five years working with tarmac and now crh their parent company i suppose the most memorable of all of that was one of the jobs I had at, at National Grid. They were building a liquefied natural gas importation terminal in Kent. And I was the head of finance for that operation for about two and a half years while we were going through the most significant expansion. And we were spending the approximately a billion sterling over a period of five years, increasing the capacity of that terminal by fivefold it now is able to import and then put into the UK gas network approximately 25% of the daily gas demand in the, in the country. And just the scale of the assets that we were building and then responsible for, we ha- there are four tanks down there, above ground tanks, each one of which you could fit the Royal Albert Hall in. Wow. They are truly enormous assets. And it was just inspiring to see these the teams working together, the actual construction of it, the technology, the engineering, and then to feel like we were making a difference to, to the UK economy. Wow, like like a, on such such something of huge scale. I mean, how do you how do you keep track of everything all on, on and keep on top of the numbers and actually make sure things get delivered on time? Well, as with many things, Andrew, you have a good team around you. You need people to do their bit so that it all comes together. And we had a relatively small finance team, but we relied on a, on a shared service center for the parent organization, National Grid. So we didn't have to worry about the transaction processing, suppliers, invoices, payroll, timesheets, all that kind of stuff. That was all done for us. So we could focus on being business partners to the business and taking the information generated by all of those transactions, understanding them, explaining them to our business partners, and ultimately driving decisions based on that information. But you had to see the wood through the trees or see the trees through the wood. I'm not sure which way around it to describe it, but you, you, you had to see the big picture, but you also had to be ready to go into detail in certain aspects if needed. I, I mean, you're, you're hinting to some sort of key elements of, of what successful business partnering is looking like, but I, I like the fact that, you know, you demonstrate you can have a small team, but business partnering allows us to scale our impact. Um, I, I suppose, it, you know, you know when we've been talking, uh, one thing that excites me actually is, is the role you're, you're certainly currently leading, because again, I think it's another area that, that finance could perhaps um, help. You, leveraging business partnering skills to help uh, be successful. Would you mind maybe sharing a bit about your, your current work with our audience? Sure. So as of the beginning of this year, we're speaking in late 2019. So beginning of this year, I, I switched roles, having previously ran, run the shared service center for the tarmac business in the UK. Uh, first time ever I'd been involved in shared services directly. I'd been a customer, but not operated it. And that was really exciting and interesting. And we went on an interesting journey for four or five years there. But the new role working for the parent organization, a company called CRH, Cement Roadstone Holdings, Irish company that very few people have heard of outside of Ireland, but they operate in around 30 countries worldwide with around 70,000 employees in the building materials and manufactured product arena. And my role is now helping our European businesses consider 
the efficiency and the effectiveness of all of their functions. So HR, IT, procurement, finance itself, legal, uh, marketing, sales, all those back office, dare I say, activities that every business requires. And the way that CRH is organized, we have many hundred operating companies and each operating company operates relatively autonomously and has its own HR, finance, IT, procurement department. And that means that there are inevitably opportunities for them to learn from each other with regard to best practice, but also opportunities to, for them to collaborate for the greater good and to deliver efficiency and effectiveness. This really excites me because I think, um, you know, Andrew, the, the finance we've often been seen as a cost center. And, and for me, I think, you know, some of that has sort of spilled over into these other support or infrastructure functions that uh, if we became maybe less siloed and started stitching things together and were able to learn from each other, we could actually start doing things better. I mean, you know, like I, I've just uh, you know, recently moved houses, some of the audience knows, and, and I've actually had to buy stuff off of um, CRH, one of the smaller companies. I can imagine there's probably some functions where there's a few people in and other ones that are, are much larger. So when you get these huge economies of scale, um, if there's uh, silos within there, it could really trap uh, or prevent uh, better learning or better ways of doing things uh, effective, you know, preventing effectiveness and also efficiency. I suppose from a finance perspective, where, where have, you know, you found that your skills been able to help impact and, and help those uh, functions actually become more efficient and more effective? In the first place, Andrew, it's helping shine a light on things. Always, I think there's a role for finance to shine a light on the performance. So one of the ways we're doing that is by undertaking benchmarking activities and benchmarking internally and externally. Not easy when we're all operating with different structures, different cost bases, different operating systems, etc. But necessary. So in doing that though, we've 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 been able to highlight where there are potential opportunities. But it's not as simple as just adding up all the numbers and comparing them with each other. It's also assessing the practices used in those individual operating companies contributing to benchmark. And that means we can identify best practice, better practice, worst practice, and help introduce those that have got the better practices to those that don't and give them an opportunity to learn from each other. And it's a truism that you only know what you know. And one of the observations that we found is that people thought they were good because they were better than they used to be. Uh, and that isn't the same as being good. That's just being better. So only by looking outside of your own arena are you able to see what good looks like, whether that's in other parts of our organization or in some cases outside our organization. We're able to understand what the art of the possible is. And my role gives me license to go and look for those best practices internally and externally and introduce them back into the business. That's, that's, a, that's, um, I, I, I love that, Andrew, Shine, shining a light. And, I, and again, um, see, see, seeing the bigger picture. And I, I also like how many of us, I know I've been guilty of this myself, just because we started doing something better doesn't mean it's, it's potentially the best way we could be doing it. No. So actually, it's just, it just keeps the conversation going and it gives people uh, something maybe even better to aim for. So, um, so look, thanks for sharing. And I do think we've got a tremendous gift in finance to be able to do that, that license to go do that. Um, 
I, I do want to uh, switch it up a, a gear and actually talk about maybe the future now with you because I know it's a topic uh, close to your heart, the future of finance and, and you know, how do we remain relevant to that? And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on sort of where do you think our audience, um, you know, should be should be going in terms of getting or having a more sustainable future in, in finance and staying relevant? It's a topic on many of our minds, and I think it always should be. Whether it was 10 years ago, five years ago, or five or 10 years into the future, we should always be looking to the future. And I think the, the essence of it for me is being curious and being prepared to inquire, to challenge, to discuss, obviously within the constraints of whatever your role permits you to do, because you can't spend your whole life just contemplating the future and not delivering today. But everybody, I think, should be curious about what's happening around them, what's happening in, in other organizations, and where the future of organizational management, finance management, etc., is going. So if, if you're not curious, I, I would be concerned. Secondly, I think it's about interacting with other people. I've gone to many of those events. You've referred to a couple of them that we've, we've spoke, been at together. But I've spent the last four or five years, I never used to do this, but in the last four or five years, I've gone to events with the deliberate intention of, of trying to achieve three threes. Okay. Meet three new people, have three new conversations, and hear three new ideas. Now, that might be all from the same person. It might be a, a new person with a new idea and a good conversation. But I'm not going there expecting to find a silver bullet or a magic wand. I go to these events connecting ideas together, validating ideas from other, other sources, exploring how other people are getting on with things. That point of interacting with other people, you can't just read about this stuff on the internet. No, right. helps, of course. It makes the world a lot smaller having all that stuff on you know, my friend Google. Ultimately, you've got to get underneath those, those written experiences or the videos or the podcasts and actually have conversations with people. Yeah. So that would be my two things. Be curious and, and talk. That's really great advice, Andrew. Very accessible as well for our audience. I think uh, those three threes are definitely within our gift and, and curiosity. Well, you know, like that's that's something I think that uh, separates the the good from the great in in finance. The, those are more curious uh, sort of forces us to go out and ask questions and and meet more people. In terms of those um, three threes, though, uh, any interesting ideas that you've come across that that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, the first one was robotics, and that was some time ago. I I remember seeing on on BBC an article. Um, <laughs> saying how the, the world of finance is going to be automated completely and we'll all be out of a mm. job. And I thought, well, if that's really a potential future, I should perhaps understand that because that's my career. <laughs> so I spent quite a bit of time talking to different people and meeting vendors, speaking to people that have done it, that are doing it, understanding a bit more about it to, to then understand how we might apply it in our own business. We have done in Tarmac. We, we started in 16 and then followed it through in 17 and 18. And right now we've got a relatively small fleet of uh, digital workers, robots, bits of software, operating processes and tasks for us that relieve the repetitive routine and mundane activities from those that would prefer to be spending their grey matter on more meaningful activities. I wouldn't have known about this stuff and I wouldn't have pursued it as an opportunity for our organization if I hadn't been curious and if I hadn't gone out and spoken to people. 
that's really interesting. You just gave me the thought there, Andrew. Like, you know, we're talking robotics now and actually introducing it and having digital workers and potentially digital managers of those digital workers. You know, the in 20 years' time, with looking to the future, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, r- r- robotics, having digital workers could just be a commonplace in most finance teams and what's going to be the next thing for us, you know, to, to go do. I'm sure it will be, Andrew. I have absolutely no doubt that it'll be commonplace. We think back 25 years at just around, <laughs> like you and I, I know you can do this along with me. ERPs were just becoming oh. the norm yeah. and we, we weren't sure what they meant. I, my first accounting job, I had a 12 column cash book, manual <laughs> cash book that I maintained. And yeah. I'm that old. Suddenly we had this technology that made things so different for us. And I do remember some of the conversations about, oh, it's a passing fad. It'll never work. Oh, you can't ch- remove the wisdom of the accountant, etc. But now we can't imagine not doing what we do without ERPs. I absolutely believe technology is going to continue to develop at ever increasing pace. And the, the way we connect and in, uh, use different aspects of that technology. We've, we've just started using artificial intelligence along with robotics in the Tarmac Shared Service Center. We'll start using chatbots. We'll start using cognitive computing. We'll start using lots of different technologies that will just, by the time my kids are X years into their working lives, it'll just be that's the way we do things around here. Think about how our, our personal lives have changed with the introduction of technology. The iPhone. How old is the iPhone? You know, but now can you imagine a world without a smartphone? No, someone was showing me the other day how they were taking a photograph of their expenses and on their iPhone and it was um, translating them into their, I think... uh, I think the name of the app was Expensify, uh, and um, uh, turning them into the ledger. I think they had to approve it, uh, yep. recognize the characters and everything. I mean, gee, like, I don't know about you, Andrew, my first ever expense claim was one of those paper-based forms. Yep, um, yep. You know, and there was elements of cash and stuff. It's just crazy. Um, the rate of change, uh, and you said that was a great example with the iPhone. Uh, I suppose, if there, is there any sort of other... I think you've got a, a, an approach to to leverage the, you know, the, the good things about the future. Is there any sort of other sort of thoughts um, about the future of finance that you might be able to share with the audience on how we can continue to remain relevant? I think we have to keep trying to move further up the value chain. Mm-hmm. We spend still an inordinate amount of time making the data make sense. Once we've got, so taking information out of one system, corresponding it with the data in another system, reconciling it with the third system, slicing and dicing it into formats for business users in a way that they'll understand it. And none of that activity is actually getting to the point where you're adding value. All you're doing is getting ready to add value. And I think collectively finance spend far too much of our time doing that stuff. And then we get to spend a bit of time understanding it for ourselves and getting to the point where maybe we could add some insight and then we get a very limited amount of time to actually spend time with our business partners, the users of the data, and give them the proposed actions to take to influence the performance in the future. And that relationship is the wrong way around. We could, with the technologies available to us today, I can only imagine what a greenfield organization, one of the businesses born in the cloud, that's been able to define its processes using all the available technology 
how those finance folk are able to do what they do. It must be such a lovely uh, place to work that your data at your fingertips. I described earlier on my role at um, the liquefied natural gas plant at, at, at National Grid and how I relied on people to provide that information. But it could be so much easier for those people required to do that when the technology does it all for you. Which actually makes for more meaningful work at the end of the day. I mean, I, there's probably only a very few people out there who, who actually enjoy going, collecting data, cleaning it, blending it. And, and you know, it feels like you work in a cave sort of doing that. I think the, the much more sustainable work is, is being out there in front of the organization, understand what they have and want, what their value gaps are, and then go helping them close it much more proactive state so yeah so so look um andrew great great advice for our audience there i'd add one more thing is don't just rely exclusively on your insight from being in finance understand the business yes the trick is to convert what you see through the numbers into language and into action that impacts the business it's no good saying oh well your dso's gone up okay my dso's gone up Help me understand why that might be the case. Help me understand what I might, what I, what I should be doing about it, and what I can do to improve the situation. And even with something relatively benign as DSO, you can't do that unless you understand the business that you're part of. You need to understand the market that's operating behind the scene or in front of you. You need to understand the peculiarities of the season. You need to understand the processes that are delivered that DSO so have there been problems with the process and you can't just take the numbers and think that you're going to know everything you've got to reach behind the numbers I guess that you know there was a lot of uh, sort of areas to look at there I guess that comes back to the curiosity point you were you raised earlier and then also meeting with people as well to to help find out those answers it's not we're going to do that in a room on our own right no exactly so look, you know, this, this has been really great advice, Andrew, but I'm curious though, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? The best bit of advice I've ever, I've ever received. Okay. I changed roles about five years ago. I had an executive coach for, for a brief period. We're still in touch today. We still catch up every now and then. And the advice she gave me was, you've got to line three things up if you want to get the most out of yourself in the work, work environment. You've got to find out what you're good at. And sometimes we don't really know what we're good at. We just know what we've been doing. You've got to find out what you enjoy doing. And sometimes that's even harder because separating what you do from what you enjoy is is hard. And then the third thing is you need to find out what people are prepared to pay you to do. And if you can line all three of those things up, you're probably never going to work ever again because you won't think of it as work because you'll be enjoying what you do. It'll come easily to you and people will happen to pay you for it. So if you can actually detach yourself from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis to assess whether you are good at it and whether you enjoy it, I think it's time well spent. Um, I I, I listened to Radio 2 in the UK, and Chris Evans was the radio DJ after Terry Wogan moved on. He used to say that if you find a job you love, you'll never work another day in your life. And it's that kind of thinking that don't, just accept what you're doing is all you can do be prepared to challenge be prepared to reflect i don't reflect naturally i have to make it happen but when i have done it it's it's born fruit that's great great advice to received and um 
also uh, I, I suppose that's a good example actually Terry Terry Wogan and Chris Evans you know having to get up at that early ungodly hour to uh, to do a radio breakfast show um, yeah I, I do I remember it well but you know to, to do that well and they were you know both brilliant at it um, you know you have to enjoy what you're doing and they were brilliant at it and I can sort of see those sort of three things coming to fruit there I'm sure they got paid handsomely as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Andrew, that that was great advice. I suppose in terms of maybe some resources that you you, you think might be useful for our audience, go check out perhaps a book or something like that. Uh, would you recommend to our audience? I tend to read quite a lot. I've just acquired three new business books. One of which is the the book on uh, Boyd. So John Boyd, B O Y D. Yes. The yes. fighter pilot who changed the art of war. Um, there's a number of books about him. This is the one that's written by Robert Corum. And he, he I've not read the book yet. It's, it's sitting in front of me. I haven't even opened it. The story goes along the lines of OODA loops. Mm-hmm. And OODA stands for observe, orient, decide, act. And my understanding is that this book will explain to me how he came up with this model and how the model helped the fighting forces he was part of succeed but it applies in business as well yeah. because the quicker you go through that cycle, the OODA loop of observe, orient, decide, act, the better you will be in a competitive situation. You will get to action quicker than your competitor and you will then go back through the cycle and you will learn from those actions. And it's for me quite a simple way of understanding how to succeed in business. Just don't be huge don't be quick just for the sake of quickness, but go through a r- rigorous process of making decisions and acting on those decisions. Yeah. So that book, you know- I'm looking forward to reading. It's been recommended to me. If I was to recommend books, the two I always recommend were by Lubner and, sorry, Dubner and Levitt, <laughs> which were the Freakonomics and Super Freakonomics books. They were written quite a while ago and the real eye openers on the power of the question and how data, when you understand it, when you take the time to understand it and correlate factors within that data can reveal very, very interesting insights. Great suggestion. And I was just thinking on that OODA, OODA loop because I want to tie it back to something you said earlier. When you said about us moving higher into the value chain, that ability to observe, orient, decide and act I think that's the next stage for finance professionals to go to is is not leaving it with just the advice and the analysis piece, but it's actually doing something with it, helping the business act, yeah. uh, deploy it, and then learning with the business and then feeding it back into the entire process again. So I think that, that fits neatly to your concept of hiring the value chain. Yeah. Definitely. So, so Andrew, look, great recommendations there. And I thoroughly enjoyed the Freakonomics books as well. Um, they're very good reads. And uh, and I suppose if some of our audience wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? LinkedIn. I'm one of few Andrew Parises on LinkedIn. I'm the only one with ginger hair that's related to the Midlands <laughs> Shared Services Forum. I'm on Twitter as well, Andrew J. Paris. Those are probably the best two. Awesome. Awesome. We will put those links in the show notes. Um, now, normally I ask for, for some parting thoughts, Andrew, and I'll, I'll get there, but I'm not letting you off this call without asking the question with the recent Rugby World Cup between <laughs> South Africa and England. Um, who were you cheering for? I was cheering <laughs> for the boys in green, and not your boys in green, my boys in green. 
um, yeah, I'm, I, I moved to South Africa as, as a preteen and went to school where in a school where rugby was what you did unless you just moved from England because I played one, one game and was, no, I'm scared, I'm not playing rugby anymore, I'm going to go play hockey. But I fell in love with rugby at that time. Some of the 95 World Cup winning team were contemporaries of mine at that school or the school down the road. I was fortunate enough to be at the opening match of the 95 World Cup. Um, I was living in South Africa throughout that World Cup and eventually um, saw us us win that World Cup, which was astonishing. And then to do it again 12 years later and now again another 12 years later, Mm. I was thrilled. My whole family were, were wearing the Springbok colors that day but it was with a we, we were going to be away because if, if I have a second team at England and having been born here and they played awesome they really delivered against the All Blacks but I think it, they peaked one game too early and as Eddie Jones has been saying recently he didn't freshen the, the team up on the day so he, he didn't switch it up I also think South Africa just had the best defence the best defence wins the Rugby World Cup. It's happened every single time. You know, I always look trying to draw analogies, but I can't help but feel sometimes between, um, you know, finance and rugby that, you know, finance offers a good defence framework for the business <laughs> to move forward from. So, you know, uh, I try, I'm probably clutching at straws there, but no, I think with the controls and compliance piece, that's a good defence against yeah. leakage. You know, if you look at the value equation, yeah, yeah, uh, the MPP, well, and then, I mean, then it's about going forward. Yeah, that's. I mean, ultimately, that's why finance existed in the first place, and we're still responsible for financial control, for reporting performance, for being the conscious of the business. That stuff doesn't go away. So, your your boys in green, though, Andrew, they um, peaked probably about six months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we you know we must be kicking ourselves. We beat New Zealand, the All Blacks. We've beaten South Africa, and then when it really mattered, uh, just uh, fell a bit short. Picked a yeah. bit early, as you said, but but look, uh, th- you know, South Africa thoroughly, thoroughly, um, thoroughly deserved the the World Cup, and um, I really hope. Uh, I just thought that their captain was very uh, dignified oh. and humble in his speech afterwards. I thought that's amazing. Yeah, the coach, the coach as well. There's a, a fabulous cohesion in that squad now. They they weren't, you know, when Rassi came back into the fold eighteen months ago, he 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 picked up a team that was in disarray, and there was no cohesion. But he's managed to bring them together as a team. And it's true in sport, it's true in work. With the right leadership, with the right attitude, with the right cohesion, you can achieve great things. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a great parallel um, to to draw between what we just witnessed in the Rugby World Cup and I think how to have a, a good future in finance with all the, the other change and stuff that's going on, like rugby's had to evolve over the years and I think finance will have to evolve too. Um, I suppose, you know, in terms of any other parting thoughts, Andrew, would you maybe have any of those to share with our audience? Oh, be positive. Always try to see the positives in things. Uh, it's held me well over a number of difficult times in my life yes it can be scary it can be daunting it can be oh my god how am I going to cope with this but there's always a light at the end of the tunnel all you've got to do is look for it and find it and then follow it so try and stay positive Great advice, Andrew. Well, look, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking us through your journey, um, the work you did with the National Grid and, and the finance team there, the, the point about the curiosity and also going out meeting people, the three threes. Um, our conversation about the World Cup and the future of finance, 
and <laughs> um, a great leadership there. So, so look, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Andrew. It's been fun. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. And when all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 